Good morning and shalom to everyone. Glad that you are able to log on and join us for our online service. And I'm glad that God has been keeping many of us safe and sound during this time. Uh, and also the wonderful testimony shared by our sister Mandy to encourage us that in whatever situation that we are in, we can still raise a hallelujah unto the Lord. In our heart, constantly raise a hallelujah unto the Lord. And continuing with our theme for the month of October, November on the God-fearing lifestyle, I remember the last month I started off this series by talking about uh, fearing God, what it means to fear God. And we say that a person who fears God is a person that lives with a good conscience and also a person that fears God more than fearing men. And this morning, I would like to continue to talk about the God-fearing lifestyle. Being a person who fears God, we want to live a lifestyle that is God-fearing as well. And you realize that the fear of God will bring out the good that is in us. It influences our thoughts, it influences our emotions, our speech, our conduct, it influences our whole life. I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1, in 2 Corinthians chapter verse 1, it says that because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. This verse tells us that we are to work towards complete holiness because we fear God. So a God-fearing lifestyle is a holy lifestyle. We are to live a life of holiness if we are to fear God. And Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, it tells us to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. So from this verse, we learn that the fear of God influences our attitude. It talks about, you know, pride and arrogance. It's an attitude. It talks about it influences our behavior as well as our speech. So in other words, our entire human faculty is affected by this fear of God in a positive sense. The fear of God will change us. Our whole being is being involved. Now when we fear God, we will love the things that God loves and we will hate the things that God hates. We love the things that God loves and hates the things that God hates. Right? So let me submit to you that a God-fearing lifestyle begins, first of all, with a Christ-like attitude. A Christ-like attitude. If we want to live a godly life, the best person for us to follow is Jesus Christ himself. Because his life on earth was impeccable, and for three years while he was walking among human beings while on this earth, you realize that people cannot find fault with him. They cannot find fault with his conduct. They cannot find fault with his attitude. They cannot find fault with his speech, with anything that he say. And let us learn from his attitude. Uh, what is the attitude of Christ like? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 8, and I hope that you can turn to your Bible. In fact, this morning, all my scripture verses are taken from the New, Inter uh, New Living Translation, the NLT. It says here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took 
the human position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared as a human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. To sum up this entire passage about Jesus Christ, if I am to just sum up in one word of the attitude of Christ, that word is humility. Humility. Christ-like attitude is one of humility. In his humility, the Bible tells us in this passage, he was willing to give up his privileges, his position. He was willing to obey the will of the Father to the point of giving his life to us. He came to serve and not to be served. He was looked down, he was persecuted, he was wrongly accused, but yet he bore no grudges. He forgave even his enemies while he was hung on the cross. In writing to the Christians, in Philippi, Paul said that we must have this attitude of Christ in us, especially in the way we relate to one another, in the way we serve one another. Right? And so in the same book, same chapter in verse 2 to verse 4, Paul said, They make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take on the interests of others too. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, there were some conflicts, some conflicts or disagreement between two ladies who were co-workers together with Paul. And it is advice to these uh, church and also to these two individuals, Paul appealed to the attitude of Christ. And the same attitude could be in us. That's why he asked us that we are to humble ourselves. We are to think others better than ourselves. And when we have the attitude of Christ, you know what? Right? We will see things from a divine perspective. No longer from a human perspective. Not focusing on ourselves anymore, but focusing on what is best. The Christ-like attitude will help us to make right responses and right choices when we are standing at the crossroad of life. Peter say the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3 will be focusing a lot this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8, this is what Peter say. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Keep a humble attitude. You realize a humble attitude will help us in our response to the harsh realities of life. And in fact, Peter continued in verse 9. What does he say here in verse 9? He says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do and He will bless you for it. We are not to repay evil for evil. In fact, it tells us that we are to repay evil with a blessing. 
Uh, and it is really, really something that is out of my, my, our human mind, right? And in fact, the Bible teaches us not to take revenge. It says, vengeance belongs to God. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 20, 21 says that if your enemies are hungry, what do you do? You feed them. If they are thirsty, you give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you. But what? Conquer evil by doing good. Wow. That is the teaching of the Bible. That is the kind of attitude that Jesus had that we hardly find it in the human attitude. Therefore, to really begin with a God-fearing lifestyle, we have to begin with the right attitude, the attitude of Jesus Christ, which is non-retaliation. Jesus teaches us to turn over to the other cheek. He teaches us to walk the second mile. It is a tough call. Very tough indeed. Do you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible for us to go the second mile? Do you think it's possible to for, for us to forgive our enemy and do good to those who meant you harm? Humanly speaking, it is seem impossible, but when we take on the Christ-like attitude, God will help us to respond appropriately. When we put on the mind of Christ, the Bible tells us, the Holy Spirit will enable us to go that extra mile. He will enlarge our capacity, our capacity to forgive, our capacity to love, our capacity to do good even to our enemies. The question is, are we willing? Are we willing to let God to do the work in us, to shape us and to change our attitude? Are we humble enough? Are we willing to humble ourselves, humble enough to even do something good for our enemy, to repay them, not with curse, but to repay them with a blessing? It is so difficult. But this is what the attitude of Christ is. And let me tell you the story of Joseph. Joseph acted graciously towards his brothers. Joseph had a kind of a divine attitude as well. And we know Joseph, while he was young, he was his father's favorite son. And as a result, caused a lot of jealousy and hatred even among his own brothers. And so what did the brothers do? Because of their jealousy and hatred for him, right, they persecuted him and they sold him to traveler. They sold him off as slave to traveler to far away places and eventually he landed up in Egypt being a slave. And fast forward many years later, through a series of God intervention and through a series of events orchestrated by God, you realize that Joseph has risen to the position to be the second most powerful man in Egypt. Second most powerful man in Egypt. And he was given charge of all the storehouses. There was a big famine going all over the world. Only in Egypt, there were grains. And Joseph was in charge of the storehouses. And so the brothers, they all came to Egypt to buy grain. Unknown to them, the person that was in charge of grain was their brother Joseph. And they couldn't recognize him. After all this, and now he dressed like an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian. But... Joseph recognized every one of them. 
And so Joseph wanted to put them to a test to see whether they have repented, to see whether they felt sorry of what they have done. And while putting them in the test, you know, through the test in Genesis chapter 42, verse 18, you know what Joseph talked about himself? Joseph said, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. He said, I am a God-fearing man. Joseph self-professed and self-confessed that he was a God-fearing man, and rightly so. Because if Joseph was not a God-fearing man, Joseph would have taken revenge on his brother. He would have treated them badly. He would have persecuted them. He would have made them suffer as much as he suffered, if not more than what he has been going on. More than all his suffering. But Joseph, because he feared God, he wanted to give his brothers a chance. And so Joseph revealed himself to them. Joseph forgave the brother who had done all this wicked thing to him. And Joseph brought them back to Egypt along with the father. And for the rest of Joseph's life, Joseph provided for them. Joseph cared for them. Joseph treated them well as brothers. But after the death of their father, Jacob, the brothers out of guilt, they were afraid. They said, well, Joseph was treating us so well all this while, maybe because for the sake of our father, our father was still alive. But now our father is dead. And now Joseph has no more obligation to the father. Maybe this is a time for him to take revenge. Maybe from now on, he will treat us differently. And so out of the guilt, out of the fear, the brother came up with a plan. Maybe we'll tell Joseph, you know, what the father told us before he passed away so that Joseph will continue to treat us well. So when the brothers came before Joseph, you know, with their make-up story, Joseph replied then. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 to 21, you know what did Joseph tell them? Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So Joseph reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Joseph reassures his brothers and he spoke kindly to them. Joseph, although was betrayed by them, he remained humble. He remained forgiving. He recognized that all that he achieved and the position that was given to him, it was nothing except by the grace of God. He did not take that credit for himself. Instead, he recognized God's hand was upon his life. He was willing to forgive his brother and he spoke kindly to them. He was sincere in his forgiveness. This is the kind of attitude that pleases God. Joseph too had that attitude of humility, that divine attitude. And so brothers and sisters and friends, if you want to live a godly lifestyle, start with having a right attitude. Especially for the Christian believer, start 
with having a Christ-like attitude. Now, before we become Christian, for many of us who came from a non-Christian background, uh, we had a different set of mindset, different value before we came to faith. We have a worldly mindset. We tend to be very self-centered. We tend to take care of ourselves. We tend to focus on ourselves. We tend to think of what is good for ourselves, what is best for ourselves. But now, as Christians, we need to change that attitude. Like our you know, golden verse in October, right? in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2, it says we are not to conform to the world. We are no longer to think like the world thing, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the changing of our mind. The changing of our mind speaks about the changing of our attitude. So we must have the attitude of Christ. Now, when we change our attitude, our behavior will change along with it because oftentimes our attitude tends to drive or determine our action. Our attitude will drive or determine our action. So a Christ-like attitude will drive us toward a godly conduct. A godly conduct. That will be our second point. Not only we must have a Christ-like attitude, we must have a godly conduct. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 2, it tells us that he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his way despises him. That means if we have an uprightness of heart, we are the one who fear God. Or to put it the other way around, a person that fear God will be, will be walking in uprightness. He will hate evil, just like what Proverbs 18.13 that we have mentioned. But what does it require of us? What does it require of us to have a godly conduct? Coming back to 1 Peter chapter 3, as I told you that it is, you know, really our key passage for this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 11, it says, Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the Lord turned His face against those who do evil. First thing first, He said you want to have a godly conduct, you must turn away from evil. Turn from evil and do good. Now, this is a very generous statement. What is evil? I'm sure you and I know what evils are. Right? Because God has given us a conscience. God has created us in His image. We know what are evil. Right? We know evil like cheating, lying, you know, and uh, 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 doing all sorts of uh, funny things, uh, violating the commandment of God, committing adultery and uh, 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 robbing and murder and uh, sexual immorality, you know, debauchery and all kinds of things. We know that these are evil. You see, turn from evil and do good. It's a very generous statement, yes. But basically, we are also urged not to go back to our former ways of life. As I mentioned to you, many of us, before we came to faith, we have a worldly mindset, we have a worldly lifestyle. But now, Peter is asking us and exhorting us that when we come to faith, we have to turn away from evil and we must not go back. And so let me read to you, you know, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 to verse 16, and you can uh, turn to your Bible, uh, you can look at the screen, right, in... Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 to verse 16. He says here, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desire. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, You must be holy because I am holy. 
This verse does tell us that we must not slip back. We must not slip back in our old ways of living to satisfy our own desire. There was old lifestyle, there was old mindset, there was old uh, attitude. Right? Because then we didn't know anything better. That's why we behave the way we behave in the past. But now we must be holy because God is holy. You see, there's a danger. There's a danger for Christians to slip back to our former lifestyle if we are not careful. And you see, when we first turn to the Lord, when we first become Christian, many of us are very excited about our newfound faith. We talk about it. And, you know, we, 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 we not only talk about it, we vow to ourselves, I want to be a good Christian. Now I, I'm on a new path. No? My life has been changed by Jesus Christ. I want to be a good Christian. But if we do not grow in the Lord, and if we are not connected to any support system, we find ourselves slipping back into our old lifestyle. You see, Christian life cannot thrive on excitement alone. It thrives on the Word of God. Christian life cannot thrive on excitement. It thrives on the Word of God. Right? You can be excited for a short while, and after that short moment, you are back to reality. But it's the Word of God that's going to help us, that lay the foundation that keeps us going. Right? And so, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Right, Peter continued, verse 1 to 3. He said, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. What is Peter trying to tell us is that, that we must get rid of some of those evil behaviors like deceit, like hypocrisy, like unkind speech. He is just saying, he is just making a few examples. It's not exhaustive, it's not a long list, just a few examples to keep us thinking. And to do this, he said, we need the word of God, we must cry out for it. And because we need to have a proper foundation, others will we'll slip back into our old behavior again. Our lives will remain unchanged and we become hypocritical when people who observe us. That's why I say just now we need a support system. What kind of support system do we need? Right? For example, we have Bible classes, we have the SCG. And why are we asking you to sign up? Because this is part of the support system that gives you the Word of God, that gives you the foundation so that you will not slip back to your old lifestyle. And we have the lifestyle. We need to be connected to one another, especially during this pandemic system. As a, a, a pandemic season, we really need to be connected. We need to watch out for one another. We need to care for one another. We need to be in touch with one another and find out how each other is doing during this season. So, church, if you are not yet connected to a support system, you need to do so. You need to do so. We have sales all over in Subang Jaya, USJ, Kota Kemuning, and uh, even in Puchong itself. And we want you to be connected to one of these cells. Reach out to us. We want to reach out to you too. Let us know. And we will want to connect you to this support system, the lifestyle support system, so that it will be it will be a foundation for you to help you uh, to turn from evil to do good that you will not slip back into your whole lifestyle. Not only we are to turn from evil to do good, we are to be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. It says seek peace and pursue it. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemaker for they will be called sons of God. 
Jesus has called all of us to be the peacemaker. And Jesus himself was a peacemaker. He came to reconcile sinners to God so that we will have the peace of God in us. And in the same way, the Bible tells us that Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation. When we preach the gospel, we are reconciling men to God. And he also asks us to reconcile men with men. We are to live at peace you know, with all mankind, and we are to bring men in conflict together. We are to be the peacemaker as human beings. I'm sure you know that we face a lot of relational issues, a lot of conflict. I'm sure even among your circle of friends or even family members, you know so-and-so is having problems with so-and-so, so-and-so is not in good terms with so-and-so, so-and-so is always quarreling with so-and-so. So we, we, know, we know that there are human conflicts all over us, all around us, whether at home, in our workplace, you know, uh, with our colleagues, and uh, even in our school, in the colleges, yeah? in whatever situation we are in, our role is to seek peace and to maintain it to seek peace and to maintain it because we are to be a peacemaker. If your classmate or colleagues or friend having a misunderstanding and not in good terms, your role is not to gossip. Your role is not to take side. Your role is not to add salt and pepper and to make the whole story more juicy. No! You are not to add fuel to the fire. Rather, you are to be a peacemaker. You are to help them to reconcile. When you are a peacemaker, people will come to you for help. But unfortunately, some Christians, instead of being peacemakers, they are troublemakers. Some people are just troublemakers wherever they go. Well, ask those that are sitting around you in the home, are you a troublemaker? Look at them, you know, are you a troublemaker? They cause trouble in their workplace, they cause trouble at home. When they come to church, they also like to stir up trouble. The problem is some troublemakers don't see or don't recognize or don't realize or don't admit that they are troublemakers. Instead, they think that they are heroes. Have you come across people like this? Troublemakers but think that they are heroes? And so they continue to cause trouble. Now, when you are a troublemaker, you are driving people away from you and you lose your testimony. Nobody likes to get close to a troublemaker. So church, be a peacemaker, not troublemaker. And the third way we can live a godly conduct, uh, besides turning from evil and do good, besides being a peacemaker, is to bear good testimony of faith. We are to bear good testimony of faith. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 uh, onwards, again, we are going to read this important passage of Scripture again, right? verse 13 to verse 17. Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants, than to suffer for wrongdoing. There are certain things that we can do to maintain a good testimony. This passage of Scripture is telling us 
to keep doing good and living right. Keep doing good and living right. When we do good and live right, doesn't mean that everything will be good. Everything will be fine. No. But there will still be those who oppose us simply because we are Christian. Simply because we bear good testimony. Because the Bible tells us that the light comes and shines into darkness and, the darkness and it dispels darkness. But darkness does not like light. So that's why sometimes we as Christians, when we try to do good, we get persecuted. So when that happens, we are called to persevere and not be intimidated by the attack of the enemy. We are called to be ready to stand up for the truth in spite of the threat and the attacks that launch against us. Remember, we need to fear God more than fearing men. And Jesus encouraged us. Jesus once said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus encouraged us, don't be afraid of human beings, what they will do to you. But when you keep doing good, when you keep living right, God will be the one that preserves you. You should fear God because God not only can destroy the soul, but also the, uh, destroy the body, but also the soul in hell. What man can touch you is only physical. But God is the one that's in charge of both the physical and the spiritual fear him. Therefore, he said we must continue to worship Christ as Lord. It's another version. The word worship is reveal. Continue to reveal Christ. Continue to, you know, treat him with the kind of awesome respect that he deserves. Keep doing good. Keep living right. In order to keep a good testimony. And not only that, be ready. Be ready to testify for Christ. Be ready to testify for Christ. You see, there are those who are curious and keen to know about the hope that we have. When they look at us as Christians, living in this world, sometimes they look at our behavior, they are impressed. Sometimes they look at the faith that we have, the hope that we have, they are keen, they are curious. Our sister Mandy has shared about her testimony, that even those, you know, at first a doctor diagnosed that it may be cancer, and she still have come, she still have the peace of God. That is the hope that we have. And sometimes people who do not know cross are amazed, how come you Christians can be so calm in the midst of trouble? How come you still have this hope? How come you, you are still able to say hallelujah, praise the Lord? So when they ask us about the hope that we have, especially during this pandemic season, where people are so scared, and everything, they are so afraid. But we as Christians, we, we must show them that we are not fearful. We are cautious, but we are not fearful because we have faith, we have hope in God. So we must be ready to share our faith. But when we are ready to share our faith, the Bible tells us that we must do so with gentleness and with respect. Be gentle and respectful. Don't be aggressive. Don't be pushy. In fact, your life speaks louder than your words. You see, our testimony and our conduct must be compatible so that people cannot find fault with us, but be convinced that our faith is genuine, our faith is real. We are to live such good life, the Bible says, so much so that people will recognize that we are Christ's disciples. Let's be genuine and sincere and not put on a mask to, fall, to cover our weaknesses. Nowadays, wherever we go out, we wear a mask. Even when we come to the church, we wear a mask. When we were able to have our physical service, we all come with a mask. 
And some people say, some people say, I don't want to go to church because I need to wear a mask. It's so difficult to breathe, you know. Right? And, and we all know the, the discomfort of wearing a mask. And there is a temptation, a tendency to pull it down below our, our nose, to wear it on our chin, to take it out all together. We want to take out our mask, isn't it? Right? But a pastor make a very thought-provoking statement. Pastor Paul Washer, he said, Some of you are mad at wearing a mask to church, but you have been doing it for years. Wow. You are mad that you need to wear a physical mask in church, but don't you know that you have been wearing an invisible mask for years? What a statement. Isn't it true that many Christians have been wearing an invisible mask to church all this while? When we truly fear God, church, we do not need to wear the mask. I'm not referring to the physical mask. I'm referring to the invisible mask. Let us be real. When we bear good testimony, when we have good conduct, let's be real. I hope today it is the reversal. We are forced to wear a physical mask to church, but let our heart be unmasked. Let our life be unmasked. Let us have a God-fearing heart that our worship may be acceptable to God and our testimony will be acceptable to the world. So a God-fearing lifestyle begins with a Christ-like attitude that will drive us to godly conduct and not forgetting a very important area, wholesome speech. Wholesome speech. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 again, Whoever will learn life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. In other words, be careful with what we say. James chapter 3, verse 6 tells us, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by hell itself. This entire passage in James chapter 3, verse 6, the following verses, it tells us about, you know, the power of a small little tongue that's in the body. Just like a small rudder that can control the direction of the ship, it tells us the tongue can set loose like a fire, like a spark of fire that can burn down the whole forest. And we all know about the terrible of a forest fire or bush fire uh, that happened in US, that happened, you know, in Australia. That kind, you know, it just took a spark. And sometimes the tongues have the ability to just do that. You say the wrong thing and it sparked off fire. It sparked off argument. Uh, it sparked off all kinds of uh, ugly things. To give a quick summary and application, it simply tells us wholesome speech means do not be deceitful in your words. The Bible tells us, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Don't be double tongue. A double tongue, they mean to have double tongue is to be unfaithful in our speech. Uh, we utter lies. Well, we speak with flattering lips. We speak one thing to this person and we speak a different thing to a different person. Do not give empty promises when you know that you cannot fulfill. That is being deceitful. That is deceitful speech. So to have wholesome speech, first of all, do not be deceitful. And secondly, do not be careless. Do not be careless with our words. We have to watch our speech and be careful what we say. Sometimes we are too careless. We speak before we think. And by the time words come out of our mouth, it's too difficult to take back. The damage is done. It's, the, it's really disturbing. Sometimes when you hear Christians keep telling their friend, 
how good Jesus is, is one moment. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And the very next moment, they start cursing fellow human beings. Just like what the Bible says just now. Out of the same mouth is come praises to God and come cursing. And sometimes you can just switch within seconds. Our tongue is just like a loose cannon. We simply shoot. And sometimes it gets us into trouble and we lose our testimony. So be careful. Tell your lips, tell your mouth, be careful what you say. And of course, wholesome speak also say, also means do not be vulgar. Do not be deceitful. Do not be careless. Do not be vulgar. It bothers me when Christians using all the F word and all the S word loosely, easily, thinking that it's cool, thinking that this is the language of the world, it's cool. Let me tell you, it's not cool. It's not cool because it doesn't please God at all. It doesn't please God at all. It refers not only to your verbal speech, but it also refers to what you post up on social, on social media. Watch what you say. Watch what you write. Watch what you post out. Don't be like the world. Don't talk like the world. Exercise some self-control. Beware of who you are in Christ Jesus. And I really want to share this verse with you in James chapter 1, verse 20. And I want you to read it aloud. I want you to read it aloud where you are sitting at home or wherever you are when you're watching it. In James chapter 1, verse 26, read it aloud as it's been shown on the screen. It says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Very strong word that James used. Don't say that I'm a Christian, I go to church, I'm religious. But if you do not control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. So therefore, church, be careful what you say. Be careful the words that you use. Don't follow the terminology of the world. Let's put on the christ attitude and let our words, the Bible says, be seasoned with salt. So are you a God-fearing person? A God-fearing person needs not be one that is holding any religious title or wearing some special robe or special attire. A God-fearing person needs not be one that is holding position in church or being a long-time Christian in church. A God-fearing person can be anyone. can be you. can be you sitting at your home. It can be you who have the fear of God in your heart regardless of your status in life. As long as you fear God and live out the God-fearing lifestyle, you are a God-fearing person. You too can be the God-fearing person. Any one of us can live out the God-fearing lifestyle with the help of the Holy Spirit. The life, a God-fearing lifestyle is not meant for the elite. There's no elite. It's meant for every believer in Christ. Anyone can live that God-fearing lifestyle. We can cultivate a Christ-like attitude, learning to be humble. Uh, we can live a godly lifestyle, turning away from evil and do good. We can speak responsibly by submitting our tongues to the Holy Spirit. All of us can. And I really desire that, you know, today we will all recommit ourselves to God and say, yes, Lord, I want to live a God-fearing lifestyle. And I want you to repeat again our, our golden verse for the month of October, you know, that is Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 1, verse 2, when we flash on the screen, I want you to read it, read it aloud again. 
right? And I hope that you commit it to memory. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. Amen. May the Lord help us. May the Lord help us, church.